you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So this morning we have two Bible readings. The first is from Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, as they should be called sons of God. And the second is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 33. Do all to the glory of God. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbour. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but for his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved." Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Josh. And uh, good morning, everyone. I don't know, um, well, I know many of you had the opportunity to join us last week at Geelong Baptist College. It's pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. Um, I don't know about you, but I actually think um, it may arguably have been the most emotional moment uh, in some ways, in the life of the church. I thought I was the only one who got teary at that moment when Whittington got announced, um, the, the new church at Whittington, and Pete came up, and, and he, he had tears in his eyes, and I had one of those moments which um, some people might get them at their wedding, uh, I didn't, where you just don't know what to say. <laughs> You're just like, I do, but I don't know how to say it. You know, I just, it was very emotional. So it was beautiful, actually. And um, two things I want to come from that. Firstly is there was bunch of people in our church who poured out extravagantly in making that happen. Where are you, Don Ewan? Are you here in the... Where is he? There, there he is. <laughs> He's hiding behind the camera at the back, and if you're online, you definitely won't be able to see him. Uh, Don Ewan and Chris King, are you here? There you are. I can see you. So Don and Chris um, worked all Saturday and a big chunk of Sunday as well, getting that together. Lots of other people did too, it's always dangerous when you single out two people, but those were two people who needed to be singled out. Thank you. Give them a hand. It, it's like... <laughs> the, the second thing I wanted to uh, link in with that is, the reason I found it so emotional was just knowing that we'd been praying about doing this work in Whittington for what seemed like a long, long time. We'd been going through all the mechanics of it. We'd been putting it before God. We'd been, we'd been starting seeing the work happen. And then just to see that God in his goodness was making that come to pass. It was, it was really beautiful. And um, 
Interestingly, on Monday, I don't think I'm the only one who felt that way, because on Monday, um, Peter Hill, who manages the finances and is overseeing the raising of the, the least of these campaign, where we're seeking, as you know, to raise $110,000, most of to go towards Whittington, some in the next generations here, uh, he, he, he texted me and he said, like, what happened on, uh, on Sunday? I said, I forgot to announce it because I was too busy uh, getting emotional. And he said it didn't matter because there was a very significant bump in that campaign. So uh, I want to begin before we get to the word by uh, letting you know where we're at. Uh, last time in Ansu, it would be almost two weeks ago, I think we were in the 70s, which was great. I can't remember exactly. I think it was somewhere in the mid-70s. As of, as of today, we are at $99,000. It's great. It's great. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so encouraging. I can't, I'm already, it's been so encouraging to say to the Whittington guys, um, look, you know, we have money coming your way that I know you need, that, that you are now going to be able to do even with less things, change around your risk, get on with the ministry that you're doing there. It's $99,000, $110,000 in total. We've got a week to go. So continue, I would, yeah, I'm excited that we're so close. Um, and so be, be praying about it. If this is, if this is something you, you haven't yet joined in this and, and joined this move, or you have and you think, actually, we could do some more. If it's little, or maybe one person might go, you know what, I can make, make that myself. If that is you, God bless you, <laughs> do it. Um, but one way or another, let's be praying that next week we'll be able to say, we're here. We've done it, and this money that we've raised is already being used for the purposes that we're raising it. So, yeah, I'm going to pray with thankfulness for, for last week and for what's happening in Whittington and for that, and also that God would meet those needs. Then we're going to turn to his word. Father, we do come to you this moment, and we thank you that you are the God who provides. Thank you for the Whittington Church that even now we're beginning to meet there. Thank you for those new Christians that are already joining your kingdom because of this. Thank you, Lord, that we get to invest as a community outside of ourselves in, in towards Whittington and to the next generations here in Geelong, the children and youth as well. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided through your people so richly. Thank you, Lord, that you've stirred our hearts. And Lord, in this uh, next week, that where we, the last week of this campaign, we pray, Lord, that you would bring the full measure into the storehouse. Would you help us um, to have the resources that we need to do the work you call us to do. And we know you will, but we ask it again in dependence and faith. And we, we thank you so much for last week where we gathered. We thank you, Lord, for um, your hand on us in all of these ways. But Lord, now as we come also to your word, soften our hearts. Help us to consider these things. And Lord, we pray that you would grow us, each as individuals and as a church. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, this is, this is a, a change gear. Um, it's talking about something that's uh, very positive and very encouraging, but now I want to talk to you about something that is, in many ways, at least on the surface, neither of those. I want to talk to you about conflict. Conflict. I don't know if you've experienced um, relational conflict. Uh, the older you are, the more likely you are to have experienced it. Serious relational conflict. Uh, it's interesting in my work as an army chaplain, I, I, I spent a lot of time um, looking and working with soldiers who had had post-traumatic stress disorder from combat in places like Afghanistan. And it might interest you to know that a serious relational conflict and PTSD share quite a few 
similarities. Uh, serious relational conflict can be immensely destructive. It can dominate our waking and it can prevent our sleeping. It can affect us physically, it certainly affects us emotionally, and it can also damage us spiritually. Maybe if you've, you've been in that situation with, with someone in a local situation, you know you can go to the supermarket and you dread bumping into that person because it'll be so awkward. Maybe it's the family gathering which you dread months in advance because you know you're going to be put into that same intense situation again and you don't know how it will go. It might physically hurt you. It comes in waves, but it constantly feels like it's a, a, an anchor on your soul dragging you down. Now, conflict like this, um, some of us, maybe you're experiencing it right now. Many of us can think of situations where it's occurred. Conflict like this is a very big deal. It happens when we find ourselves at odds with another person. Uh, it could be over what we think, what we want, or what we do. Uh, often it's minor, or at least it starts that way, but conflict can grow and it can become immensely destructive. It can happen in the workplace, it can happen in your family, it can happen in the bedroom. It can be people who are Christians the conflict breaks out with, or people who are not Christians. Uh, we can go through seasons of our lives where we don't really think about conflict, it's not happening, even for years at a time. But then there can be seasons where conflict seems to dominate our existence. Um, and the world that we live in is not making things any easier. I think for many of this would be true, but for me, I think I've experienced more conflict in the last two years than I have in the previous 49 put together. And maybe others of you would be in similar situations to that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because it impacts our lives. And it's a big deal because when it comes, it can seem very difficult to navigate. And yet, uh, this is something that is true, at least of our church in Geelong. We have never specifically looked at this this issue of conflict and its resolution. We've touched on verses in the Bible as we've gone through, but we've never actually said, let's look at this issue. And I think that's a mistake because the Bible has a lot to say about this issue of conflict and its resolution. So, uh, as Josh announced uh, at the start, we're beginning a uh, Geelong only. This is a choose your own adventure. We're the only city on a hill church at the moment doing this topic, but we've got the next three weeks, this week and the next two weeks, we are looking at a series called Peacemaking. Peacemaking, it's based on Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we've got this next three-week series, and we've been working, and I've been working in conjunction with an organization, a Christian organization called PeaceWise. Any of you heard of these guys? Hopefully, a couple of you have, hopefully a lot more of you will after this. PeaceWise are a great organization that help churches and individuals work through this issue of, of conflict. They're excellent. And they've got a couple of really good books, which I want to say up front, I've drawn very heavily from in these next series of, of sermons. The, the, for Ken Sandy, particularly, there's two books, The Peacemaker and Resolving Everyday Conflict. Are we there? We go. 
Really, really, really good books, especially the short one there, I think, Resolving Everyday Conflict, which is a condensed version of the other one. So um, I've drawn heavily on this. It's really good material. And I'm aware that this is not going to be enough, right? We're not going to be able to go, okay, three-week sermon series, peacemaking, some talk in GCs, and we're done. You know, we are now a peacemaking church. Blessed are we. Um, it'd be nice if it was that easy. Um, but it's good to do something, right? It's good to make a start. So if you're like, this is part one. Part two will happen next year when I've invited uh, peacemakers as, or the PeaceWise as an organization. They're going to come to our Geelong Church and they're going to run for us a more deeper and detailed series that can equip, hopefully, all of us in a church in this area of peacemaking. So that's part two will happen next year. This is part one now. And my prayer for this is that I would personally learn and grow in this area of peacemaking because it's a big deal and it's hard and my prayer is that we as a church would grow to become better more peace wise better uh, at peacemakers that we might be known as being blessed because we're a church of peacemakers so today as uh, we begin I've got four points and um, these there are not going to Drag you out wondering what they are. I know you, you're desperate to know, but there's four points. Conflict is part of the normal Christian life. Conflict is a matter of the heart. Conflict is transformed by the gospel. And conflict provides us a wonderful opportunity to glorify God. So four points. Firstly, conflict is part of the normal Christian life. And you might say, Andrew, I don't think it is. I think it is, and I'll tell you why. Firstly, experience. Um, a little while ago, uh, when I was in my 20s, I had no idea that Christians were involved in any kinds of conflict. I was a new Christian. It was all amazing. I was part of a Baptist church in Canberra. I loved that church, and I went there every Sunday morning and evening, and I took my friends there. Some of them met Jesus. It was just the most amazing church, and everyone was so friendly. It was just wonderful, and I happened to meet uh, one of the pastors of that church and have a chat a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and we were just talking about life and ministry, and I was like, oh, man, you know, why isn't every church like that? Like, never any conflict, and, and he just laughed, and he went like, are you serious? I was like, yes, and he went like, there was very significant conflict happening in that church in those years that you were there. I just didn't know about it, but uh, it's not, I don't just know that conflict is normal for the Christian life through experience, but I know it through the scriptures, so uh, some people sometimes will say, like, we've got to get back to the New Testament church. We've got to be more like the New Testament church. Like, amen, sister, we do need to get more like the New Testament church, but we better be ready for conflict, because that was the experience of the New Testament church. Uh, sometimes we imagine New Testament church like the honeymoon period in a marriage, but that's not what it was like. There was lots of conflict. Um, in the book of Acts, for example, the church starts in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, and very, very quickly, you know what happens? But in Acts 2, the church is born. In Acts 6, there's a big conflict within the church about how vulnerable women in the church are being cared for or not cared for by the church community. It, it's serious. Look at it in Acts chapter 6. Um, it, then later on in, in Acts, we see that there's a, a very serious conflict that arises between two of the superstars of the New Testament church, Barnabas and Paul, 
It's so bad that they actually end up separating and going their own ways in their mission during Jebus. It's a big deal. It's happening in the book of Acts. Uh, Josh mentioned the book of uh, Corinthians, which you're going to be coming back to in a moment. That whole letter is written to a church that is alive, it's powerful, it's spirit-filled, it's growing in evangelism and service and witness, and it's riven with conflict. The whole letter is written to that church in conflict. And then my my personal favorite is um, Philippians. Uh, Paul is in the midst of writing this wonderful, theologically rich letter to the church in Philippi. And uh, in the middle of brackets, writing the Bible under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul says this in Philippians 4, verse 2. He goes, I plead with you, dear, and I plead with Sincti, agree with one another in the Lord. So he's writing this letter in the middle of theology, pause, and he goes like, would you two dear Christian ladies just get on? Just agree with one another? It's a reality, isn't it? And the first thing we need to grasp about conflict within the church is this is not an aberration. This is the normal part of Christian life this side of heaven. Encouraged yet? Christian conflict is normal. Secondly, this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that, Christian, uh, that conflict is a normal part of the Christian life because of the human heart, because of your heart, and because of my heart. Conflict is a normal part of the Christian life because of our hearts. Now, conflicts start for many reasons. You know that, and I know that. Lots of different reasons that conflicts start. Some of them start from misunderstandings. Just a simple crosswire. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one that, that, um, that happened with me, and I didn't even know about it. Uh, I was walking through the CBD of Canberra, and I met an old and good friend who I hadn't seen for 10 years. And it was this really lovely moment, and, and uh, I was with Dana, and we were, we were chatting, um, I was, we were chatting with one another and just catching up on some of the news, and then, and then we said, okay, great to see you, time to go. And then, he, then, then we, I turned away, started walking away, and then he said, hey, wait, 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 wait. I need to talk to you about something. It's like, yeah, what? And he said, I want you to know I've finally forgiven you. And um, it was really awkward because I had no idea what he was forgiving me for. And, uh, and I was like, that's, that's great. And you, you're trying to, like when you, you don't know someone's name at the party, you're trying to work out, you know, can you give me something here? And I was like, okay, so tell me more. And, and uh, you know, like, have you worked through this? And, and then uh, finally, he, it turned out that it had all happened 10 years before. And uh, we'd been, uh, he and another good mate, we were all in the same Bible study, and they were sitting in my room, and we were talking about something, and it turned out we all were interested in the same girl in our Bible study, the three of us. And I had gone like, right, gentlemen, as uh, officers in Her Majesty's services, there is nothing else for this but pistols at dawn. And... Uh, <laughs> And like, oh, that was a good joke. <laughs> you know, that was, and I, I didn't think anything else of it. Ten years later, I realized how badly I'd misjudged the situation. It wasn't a big deal to me, so I joked about it. It was a big deal to him. And he had felt that I had dismissed and mocked something that was very close to his heart. And it was really, I was really upset. I was like, I'm so sorry. For ten years, you, you've worked through that because of my words, which were just, in, in retrospect, were just insensitive. It was a, it was a misunderstanding. Like, uh, I didn't, I would have had no idea it had happened, but conflict sometimes happens like that. We just, we just misunderstand one another. We just, we just cross. 
Conflict, though, also happens because of a God-given gift. You know what that is? Diversity. Diversity is a good thing. We're different. Um, That's a gift from God. We, We have different genders. We have different cultures, some of us. That flows into all sorts of different ways of viewing the world. Um, it, this will really surprise you, but not everyone ad- agrees on church music and worship, you know, like tastes. You know, people are different. Some people love the drums. Some people love, or- and it's just God's widest differently. We like different foods. We, we like spending different ways and holidays. There's so many different things that are different. More recently, uh, and differences are not bad. Some people go like, we're looking at a pandemic. Some people go this way. Some people go that way. Um, some people choose to be vaccinated. Others don't. Those are God-given differences. And it comes from the fact that we are just different. But the, the problem comes when those God-given differences encounter our human hearts and we tend towards a response that says, I think this is how it should be, so you better too. You, you better agree with me because this is what I think. On, on one of the areas, that, and I'm not talking about sort of central issues of theology, but on secondary things in which we operate and we live together as a community. That's when, um, when God-given differences can become, which are good, can become destructive conflicts that are bad. So James, uh, in chapter 4, The Apostle James, he he writes this about conflict. He says, verses one to two, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Good question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, Those are actually words written to Christians. James is writing to Christians saying like, this is what is causing conflicts among you, your hearts, hearts that are focused on what we want, what we need, what what are our rights and and our our entitlements. Uh, Ken Sandy, the guy I mentioned, he says in in, uh, one of his books, he says this, people are different and we want different things. Differences get worse when sinful selfishness and pride drive our reactions. Destruction results when we fail to respond properly and we allow our sinful desires to continue driving our words and our actions. Have you experienced that? The problem is not where we start, but where we end up. The issue isn't that we are different, it's what we do with our disagreements. Seldom do we choose to lay down our rights and humbly work through our difficulties with others. Instead, we say, we're different, I'm right, I've got to win. Conflict comes from, is inevitable, because it comes from our human hearts, which are overwhelmingly inclined towards selfishness, towards seeking our interest and not others. So conflict is inevitable because of our human hearts. Encouraged yet? <laughs> All right. Thirdly, now we're turning, now we're, now we're on the up. Conflict, and this is such good news, is transformed by the gospel of Jesus. It is transformed. It must be transformed. It can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And uh, 
I'll, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, when he is speaking about conflict, he is consistently praying and expecting that the way Christians handle conflict will be different. So for example, in John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus says, as he's praying, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that, listen to this, so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is saying that, that when he comes, the way his people relate to conflict will be so different that people will look at them and go, wow, you guys love one another. That's how we know that God sent Jesus because of there's a, a relational difference. In John chapter 12, 34 and 35, he goes on to say, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is why conflict is so huge Jesus says it will either fuel our, our mission into the world or it will sabotage it. This is a big deal. And the gospel transforms it. Because you know what? The, the horizontal conflict that might already be in your mind as we're in this series, and I hope it is in your mind, that horizontal conflict between other people is not the greatest conflict that you and I experience in this world. The greatest conflict the Bible teaches that we experience is a vertical conflict it's a conflict with God. It's a re relational disjunction. It's a relationship separation between the God who created us in love and between us as human beings, created beings. The Bible speaks of that conflict as, as sin. It's separated. God, the Bible says, is our enemy. If you've got an enemy, you don't want him as an enemy. Not one who is omnipotent, all power, omniscient, all knowing. You don't want him as your enemy, but the Bible says that our natural human relationship is that not we are just good people and that God is on our side and we're in a great relationship with God and he's patting us on the back as we go through life. Without the gospel, you and I are separated from God now and for all eternity. That is a conflict which if you've never considered it, it overwhelms any other conflict. A horizontal conflict is is irrelevant in a sense compared with the conflict that we experience with God. But this is the gospel, right? The good news, if you are a Christian here today, that conflict's done. You have, as, as Dave Chiz was sharing a couple of weeks ago, you have shalom, peace with God through Jesus Christ. God sends his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world on a conflict resolution mission. And it's a conflict that is resolved because of what he does. In giving his life on the cross, in freely giving himself, he means that he makes it possible that we are reconciled with God. That God is, is not just like no longer kind of we're, at a, we're in the Cold War, but that we are actually made sons and daughters. We're brought in, into living, loving, intimate relationship with God. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's a big deal, right? Sometimes as Christians, we go, oh, yeah, I know all that. I learned that in, in yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Jesus came and I'm no longer at enmity with God. Yeah, yeah, let's get to something exciting like end times or something. You know, like, no, that's a big deal. That's the fundamental identity if you're a Christian is that you are someone who has been made at peace with God through Jesus. And that gospel 
which is the good news is it transforms not only the way that we live vertically, it does more than that. So sometimes I think we think the gospel says, oh yeah, I know that. I'm, I'm at peace with God now. And that's the gospel, yeah, that, that's, that's done. So, so I, now I'm just on earth and then one day I'm gonna get to heaven and that full vertical dimension will be restored. That's what the gospel is. I just gotta wait till I die and go to heaven, right? Or Jesus comes back. The, the gospel in the New Testament is also horizontal. The, the transforming relationship with God, it impacts the way we relate horizontally. That's what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, because you're made right with God, you will live differently and the world will see it. And I'm not just going to say, hey, you need to live differently. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to live within you so that you'll be a transformed community and you will respond to conflict differently. The gospel works out horizontally as well as vertically. It's the good news. It transforms conflict. It doesn't mean that it won't exist. It doesn't mean that there won't be awkward, difficult, sometimes destructive conflicts within the church, within Christian people, but it does mean that we are not without help and that we are not without hope. We have the gospel. We have the presence and the power of Jesus Christ working in our community, and because we do, the world should look at the Christian community and go, wow, look how these guys love one another. Look how horizontally they work out all of their differences and disagreements in a way that shines the beauty of Jesus Christ. Listen to how um, Paul describes the, the DNA of peacemaking. And it's interesting because it is DNA. Now, it, you might remember, I think last year, was it earlier this year, we looked at the, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed, 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 blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. You'll be called sons of God. Blessed. And we sometimes think, oh, that's an optional, that we're all different people and you're blessed as a peacemaker, but you're not really, you know, um, and I don't have to be because you are. You know, no, it's everybody. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount describes the normative Christian life. It says that each of us are peacemakers. We must be. And so Paul in the book of Colossians Listen to how he describes the Christian community. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So conflict is inevitable because of our hearts, but the truth of the Christian gospel is that our hearts are transformed and changed. And, and this is true, right? This is, I've wrestled with the statement, it's, it's one in Ken Sandy's book, but I think it's true. He says, there is absolutely no reason that you and I, as Christian people, cannot live in reconciled state. And as much as it depends on us with people who are not Christians as well. So conflict is transformed by the gospel. All right. Fourthly, finally, every conflict that we experience provides an opportunity. 
So maybe next time you experience a conflict, you should go, yes, thank you, God. Thank you for this conflict. Thank you for this person that's angry with me. Thank you for that awkward situation because I got a great opportunity. Um, You probably won't think that, I don't. But um, you have got an opportunity. Conflict presents us, the Bible speaks about, with a really clear opportunity. And this is when I go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which Josh read for us. You remember that? It's talking about like... um, can you eat meat that's sacrificed to idols? And, and if you read 1 Corinthians, like, and you think that, that keynote coffee mug verse, you know, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do. Now, I've always thought, oh, yeah, that, so that means that if I'm playing croquet, I should do it. I should play croquet for the glory of God. If I'm doing my taxes, I should do my taxes to the glory of God. If I'm singing in the shower, I should do it all for the glory of God. Maybe you've thought about that verse in similar ways. Whatever you do, do it with reference to God for his glory. And if you have thought it that way, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely legit. But it's not what Corinthians is saying, actually. You remember I said before, 1 Corinthians is a letter all about conflict. And in the context of 1 Corinthians that that Josh read for us, it's all about the, the Corinthian church is having conflict. Uh, you'll know some people are showing up for communion and, and eating all the food, so none's left. Other people are showing up and drinking all the wine and they're drunk and no one else has got anything. It, it's, some people are eating meat when they should. It's a, it, it's a mess. And that is the context which Paul writes this verse. It's, the middle, it's in the midst of conflict. That's when he says, so whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Paul's saying, in your eating and your drinking and the way that you are relating to one another in conflict, you should be doing it all to the glory of God. You should be doing it um, not selfishly, trying to get what you want or gratify your own needs, but you should be doing it with God's glory in mind. Now, Ken Sandy writes that glory is the Bible word for the essence of God. To live for the glory of God means you bring attention to, you display, and you reveal God's greatness. See the opportunity? Uh, In in Corinthians, Paul says, do it all for the glory of God. In the middle of your conflict, do it for the glory of God so that other people would see who God is. They'd see God's essence and his greatness. You draw attention to who God is by the way you handle conflict. It's hard, isn't it? It's so hard. It's hard to do that in Conflict, But I don't know if if you've asked that question, what difference would it make if in the middle of a conflict that's just heating up with your spouse or with your kids or with your workmate or with your friend or with your neighbor over the fence, whatever it might be, as that conflict is heating up, what difference would it make if you actually in that moment went, I've got an opportunity here. How can I glorify God in these next two minutes? I mean, what difference would it make? It'd make all the difference, wouldn't it? How can I show God's essence and glory by the way that I respond to this fight right now? (laughs) That would be absolutely transformative, wouldn't it? In our thinking, because I know you're looking at me because you know that is so hard to do. 
because you start to get emotional and angry, you start to feel threatened and hurt, how dare they say this, it's un- you know, and you start to think, and, you, and this, is the, this is the key, if you're not going to glorify God in the conflict, who are you going to glorify? Someone's going to get glory, so if it's not God, who will it be? You, me. If we're not going to bring glory for, to God, what are we going to do in the conflict? We're going to say, I'm right, and here's why. You're wrong, and here's why. I need to get what I need to get because I'm me. I don't care what you get. You're you. I'm me, and I want what I want, and I'm going to get it. And in the end, we say, why? Because I'm worth the glory, aren't I? You see how radically different the Christian response is to go, God, how can I glorify you right now? What word that I'm about to say might glorify you? as opposed to what I'm about to say and I want to say, which is just going to glorify me and make things worse. Uh, Ken Sandy says this. Your actions in conflict, listen to this, show either that you have a big God or that you have a big self and big problems. Read that again. Your actions in conflict show either that you have a big God or that you have a big self and big problems. This really matters. It's, it's one of the reasons that, that Paul says uh, in the book of Ephesians. He says to us, strive to maintain the, the bond or the unity of the people in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4, so I don't have it in front of me there, but it's the word that he uses when he says strive to maintain that unity is exactly the same word that you would describe a gladiator going into conflict in the arena in the Colosseum in Rome. So if you're a gladiator and you said, okay, strive to go out there to do your best, what does that mean? It means for those of you in the next generation, it goes like, you're in the Hunger Games and you don't want that cannon to sound at your expense, Right? Some of you got it. You know, so you're going, you're going into the arena, strive to stay alive. And I don't know about you, but if I'm a, if I'm a gladiator and I've got my little spear and, and I'm going against the other gladiator, I'm going to strive with everything that I've got not to be bleeding out on the sand on the floor. You're going to be the same, aren't you? Paul uses the same word. He says, strive to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So this is what we do. This is how we glorify God in that moment. All right, so this is the first part of this series in conflict, the first week, and the big takeaway point, I think, is what you and I do with conflict matters to God. God is intensely interested in the way that you handle conflict in your family. God is intensely interested in the way that you handle conflict in the workplace. God is intensely interested in the way that you and I handle conflict within his bride, the church. This really matters. This really, really matters. And so, um, as we begin, obviously this is a broad brush first week. Next week and the week after, we're going to be digging into some of the specifics of conflict, how we seek its resolution, how we work through some of the emotions surrounding it. We're going to be diving into that together. But this morning, as we start, God cares about this. 
The Bible has a lot to say about it. It's a reality for our human existence and it gives us the most wonderful opportunity to glorify God and to shine His light, not only inside the church, but to the world around us. So as we close, I'm going to ask the musicians would, would come up as we close this part. We're going to sing some great songs. But I think this series is a good moment to actually get specific. And so while these guys play, um, I'm going to give us a couple of moments of silence. And what I want you to do in that silence is I want you to ask a, a dangerous question. Who are you in conflict with right now? I don't want you to shout out the name, not this time. Who are you in conflict with right now? And then in that moment, I think as this series begins, by the end of these three weeks, I want to be in a different situation with this person in what way? If you've got no one that you're in conflict with right now, you can pray for those around you that do. Or you can prepare yourself for the time when you might. But many of us here will have some kind of conflict that is automatically in our minds right now. There's a relationship that's not right, and we know it. So I'm going to ask us then to reflect in these silence and say, okay, what would I love to be different at the end of three weeks, and what part might I play in that? And if you need to confess, that's good to do. So let's, let's close our eyes so we can, we can think with less distractions as I said I'll give you now that that couple of moments to ask who is that person Is there anything that you already know that you need to do differently? Have you glorified God? Have you sought to glorify God in that situation? Father God, uh, we come to you this morning uh, as individuals and as a church. And we know that conflict is a reality this side of heaven. But we ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow in this. Uh, We bring before you that person or persons that you've laid on our hearts. And we pray, Father, that in these next couple of weeks, you would give us the tools, you'd give us the training, you you would help us to move forward in that conflict situation. Father, we pray that that you would help all of us to grow as peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Father, we pray that that would be true of us. We pray that in all that we do, we would bring glory to your name. We'd live for your glory. And so, Lord, in this series, as it begins, we, we bring before you our times in gospel communities this week. Uh, We bring before you the content on Sundays. We we ask, Lord, that you would use these next couple of weeks as a significant moment. Lord, we we ask that you would help us because our hearts, we've got the gospel, but our hearts sometimes are still not fully yours, they're not fully transformed. 
So Lord, work in us, we pray. We love you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to make peace with God for us. In your name, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.